This is an ABC podcast. This is Science Friction. As soon as we saw the fire coming up and over the hill, we started getting into our fire protocol and getting everyone off site. Firefighters couldn't save three homes at Glen Hewen, destroyed by ember attack. And there was a lot, a lot of smoke. The wind did pick up at one point and there was a lot of ash and embers and leaves on fire. And so it was kind of like a, an apocalyptic experience. You know, you're kind of in the middle of something thinking, you know, how is this going to turn out? Danny works at the Tahoon Airwalk, a forest tourist attraction about an hour from Hewenville in Tasmania's beautiful south on Palawa country. One of Tasmania's most popular tourist attractions, the Tahoon Airwalk, has been devastated. Firefighters managed to save the visitor centre. When I first come on to this side of the river, top side of the river, I cried. Just... The amount of devastation, the animals, the trees. It still overwhelms Danny to recall the catastrophic Mm. scene here after the inferno in 2019. It's kind of like taking it down to the bare bones. That was the state's second hottest summer on record at the time. And lightning strikes had ignited fires across Tasmania's west. Four years on, new shoots are sprouting up from the earth and there's life everywhere. Tahoon is still a beautiful place to visit. And seeing the resilient eucalypts towering above us gives Danny hope. You know, these trees are, they're survivors. They're battlers. They'll come back. It's just about the time, you know, give them time. But for some tree species unique to Tasmania, no amount of time will bring them back after fire. And if you talk to tree scientists here, they say we are running out of time to save them. Natasha Mitchell with you for Science Friction's If Trees Could Talk. It's part two, where you'll meet the people taking the pulse of trees, capturing their breath, and counting centuries of tree rings, because right now, Tassie's trees are telling us dramatic things about our rapidly changing climate. And the question is, are you, are we, ready to listen to what they have to say? Crossing the Huon River here, I'm right at the confluence of two big rivers here in Tas, the Picton River and the Huon River. Beautiful, dense forest on either side, but you can see the scars, the black scars of that fire on many of the tall eucalypts here. Thankfully, the hewn pines along the the river's edge here with their toes in the hewn river survived that fire. And Tasmania's conifer trees are survivors. Hewan pines, King Billy pines, pencil pines. Hewan pines are contenders for the longest living trees in Australia and amongst the oldest in the world. These species reach back to when we were part of Gondwana, the great southern supercontinent that connected us to Antarctica, South America and South Africa before it started breaking up around 180 million years ago. So these are trees that come from the time when dinosaurs were walking on the earth. So living fossils. Exactly, living fossils. This is fire ecologist Jenny Steiger. And these are species that are incredibly sensitive to fire. They really 
do not have any survival mechanisms. And fire in Tasmania's west is changing in a dramatic way. Before the 90s and into the 2000s, lightning-caused fire was a real rarity in western Tasmania. So it's shot up to the point where now the predominant cause of ignition, of bushfire ignition in the World Heritage Area and the Tasmanian Wilderness World Heritage Area is lightning. It's quite possible that we've got exactly the same amount of lightning that we've always had, but we're just not getting that associated rain with the lightning. On the other hand, we might be getting more lightning as a result of the changing climate. So with what consequence? Lightning ignited bushfires are more difficult to manage because they tend to occur in more remote areas. We saw that in 2016 and again in 2019 when drier conditions lined up with these huge ignition events in the form of dry lightning storms, which then resulted in very extensive areas of the World Heritage Area being burnt in by bushfire. 6% of the World Heritage Wilderness Area burned in Tasmania in the 2018 to 2019 fires, over 95,000 hectares. And Jenny Steiger wants to see fire managed differently in these wild places as the threat of fire ever increases. We're seeing climate change before our eyes now. It used to all be a bit theoretical and hypothetical, but we're witnessing the effects of climate change happening right now in the Tasmanian Wilderness World Heritage Area. Tasmania's kind of a little, um, a little arc, of evolutionary sort of preservation, I suppose, an arc of, of survival. This is plant physiologist Professor Tim Brodrib from the University of Tasmania. It, it really gives us a, a, a troubling indication of the, the scale of change that's happening at the moment when we know that species are here that have been here for 40 million years and they are starting to struggle, you realise that you're doing something that's quite profound in the history of the planet, you know. Even the lush, cool, temperate rainforests that many of Tasmania's trees call home won't be able to hide from what's coming and what's already here, human-induced global warming. And new science is showing us why. Just saw a little red robin. Beautiful little pink belly. Fishbone water ferns. So let's meet a scientist decoding the climate secrets hidden inside Tasmania's human pines, these living fossils. The human pines tell an, a really clear story about past climate. I'm Catherine Allen. I'm a dendrochronologist. Uh, I work at the University of Tasmania at the moment and I'm very interested in understanding what the trees can tell us about the past. A dendrochronologist and a dendroclimatologist, dendro meaning tree, and Cathy's taking long thin cords from cross sections of trees to interpret what their rings have to tell us about climate change. Now, no one tree can tell the full story, right? Which is why she's sampling many trees to stitch together what's called a tree ring chronology reaching back nearly 2,000 years. And she takes the samples from living and fallen trees ever so carefully, so no trees are harmed in the making of this science. The most common thing that people have used to get the story out of trees is how wide the rings are. So a wider ring generally means the tree is happier, whereas a narrower ring indicates the tree will be more stressed. It's a bit like people in a way, we tend to think, well, if they're growing well, they're doing well. But over the last 
around about 20 years, people have looked at a wider range of things. So how dense the wood is, how big the cells in the wood are, uh, how thick cell walls are. And we've also looked at something called microfibril angle. Oh, we're getting in really nitty gritty. Yeah, this is the angle of fibres in the cell wall. Quite a strong climate signal. We've got a long, thin strip of wood here and it's got the tiniest, tiniest, barely visible striations. So it's one year of this tree's life, each one of those. Where the rings are very tight, to me that means the tree was having a bit of a hard time and that could well have been related to climate but we would have to check across many other samples at that point. And what we find is they're telling us that the current increase in temperature is unprecedented in at least the last thousand years and that's both in terms of the rate and the persistence. Does that keep you awake at night? It is very worrying. I mean, when you think about the future of some of these species and what those higher temperatures are likely to mean, pencil pine, where's that going to go? There's only so much topography in Tasmania. It can't go a lot higher. It, you only see it on the central plateau and high highland areas, about 1,000 metres. Our highest peak is 1,600 metres. A lot of our higher peaks are covered in rocks where's the pencil pine going to go once it gets too warm for it? What's going to happen with the hue and pine, you know, as the rivers dry up and there isn't the moisture that it requires? They're seriously under threat because with the climate projections, they suggest that Western Tasmania will become drier and because hue and pine is so sensitive to moisture and it needs to have its feet in water, drought could be a major issue for them. Many people have said, you know, fire is the biggest threat that they face, but it's probably drought. And with an increasing global mean temperature, these trees will experience more heat stress, more drought. Yes, even in the cool, wet, temperate forests of Tassie. Tim Brodrib is a world leader in investigating what stresses trees. The temperature rise in Tasmania is as aggressive as it is anywhere else in the world, which is which is quite surprising actually. There is a degree of buffering, you know, we've 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 got a good rainfall in the westerly band, and but things are changing very very fast now, just astonishingly fast, faster than we ever predicted. You know, all the models have underestimated the rate of change. You know, a lot of people are sort of like, oh yeah, that's great, it means we can go to the beach for longer or something. But the the problem is that. It's the extremes that knock plants around. So, you know, if the mean temperature goes up by degrees, that's okay, but that means that the extremes are gonna go up by degrees as well. And when you see the fragility of the systems that plants use to survive, you're gonna see events that will take out millions of square kilometers of, of forest. Now, that's already happening. We, we talk about tipping points a lot in this, this space and you know, we, we're going to see a, a massive shift in, in where trees grow. And we also have the, the potential for a massive feedback there because once we start, once trees start dying, they stop doing the, the helpful job of, of taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Describe what that feedback could look like. If you get a, a very strong uh, heat wave, it kills trees and then you get a, a reduction in the amount of carbon dioxide uptake in global forest 
then you get more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, you get higher heat waves and, and feedbacks are pretty savage. Biology hates a feedback, you know. And a short drive up through the forest on a misty morning will give me a glimpse why. Next stop, a very special plot of trees just inside the Tasmanian Wilderness World Heritage Area. This is paradise. <laughs> Welcome to paradise. <laughs> Tim Wardlaw. I was a forest pathologist in my career, so I, I was a sort of dead tree detective. I'd look at forests and try and work out why they were unhealthy or what killed these trees. So looking basically a forensic approach to looking at why forests are unhealthy and what causes trees to die. The UNESCO World Heritage Area covers almost a quarter of the island state and a new report from UNESCO reveals just how crucial it is. According to their data, this takes more carbon out of the atmosphere than any of their other properties around the world. That includes all the tropical forests. So these cool temperate forests are incredibly productive. That's incredible, isn't it? That, so that's across the entire uh, wilderness heritage site here in Tasmania. That's, that's a big area. That's a big part of the state. It, it, it's a large area. The Australian government take a lot of benefit of that in their emissions reduction strategy. A lot of our international obligation hang on how efficient these forests are in taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere in terms of one of our approaches for dealing with global warming. So we're at a globally significant site in the story of climate change. Incredibly important. But just as they're an incredibly important solution to our carbon dioxide challenge, are they about to become part of the problem in a big way? This is the Warra Super Site. It's an ecological research station that's been Tim's labour of love during his long career with Forestry Tasmania and now as a research associate with the University of Tasmania. Trees in this plot are tagged with numbers. They count. And everything about their lives and world is mapped and measured and monitored and recorded within an inch of their life. And he's capturing their breath too. So how much carbon dioxide and water and energy move between these trees, this forest and the atmosphere in any given moment? So we wanted to monitor how much carbon dioxide, how much water and how much energy were moving between the forest and the atmosphere. If we can do that, we can tell whether the forest is gaining carbon or losing carbon, gaining water, losing water. And these are really important properties to understand how the forest is responding to the climate at the time. That's how we got our first clue here that the forest was behaving differently to what we expected. Tim has recently made a confronting finding here. During a three-week period in 2017, this forest experienced a record heat wave. And when Tim crunched the numbers, he discovered that the forest here had stopped doing what it was meant to in that heat wave. I thought, am I making a mistake here? <laughs> so I, like I asked a good scientist. Of experts who's got a lot more experience in this field than I have, is this what I'm seeing real? And I did a lot more examination of the data. For that three-week period, so compare it with the, the same time the previous year, the forest would have taken up about three and a half tonnes of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Instead, during the heat wave, the forest lost nearly 10 tonnes of carbon dioxide. So it's nearly 14 tonnes per hectare of carbon dioxide difference between 
a normal a year with normal conditions with this heat, this three-week heat wave period. So it's a massive turnaround and large, that's a kicker of climate change in these sort of really productive forests. When the effect happens, you really notice a difference because you're talking about large quantities of carbon. So just to understand the mechanism, why would they become a carbon source if they're not taking up as much carbon? That doesn't mean that they're losing carbon. Yes, they are. And that's because the forest is a dynamic system full of living organisms doing their work, right? Including the trees themselves. All living cells consume energy in the form of sugars, releasing carbon dioxide in that process. But trees also take up carbon dioxide from the atmosphere during photosynthesis and use it to build their leaves and limbs. What's happening is normally the forest is taking more carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere through photosynthesis than it is releasing back into the atmosphere through respiration of all the living cells within it. And during those heat waves, because it was hotter, all living things respire more as temperature increases. So it's a double whammy. You're getting more respiration, more CO2 released through respiration and less CO2 being converted into sugars through photosynthesis. And because of that, we're seeing that big shift from a a sink to a source. You've described that observation as unprecedented. On what scale? We've never seen it before anywhere in the world. Making conclusions from one heatwave in one month, in one year, you know, climate is a long game. Is it meaningful? Getting confidence of an effect from extreme events is really, is always challenging. We're starting to understand the process now, you know, understanding the mechanism that's causing this to happen. When the warm spell in 2017 ended here, the forest flipped back to being a carbon sink. That's good news. But global warming will be bad news for these Tasmanian forests. The concern is that if these heatwave events become too common, it will be less able to recover as quickly or if at all. And there's an idea of forests reaching tipping points where they can no longer recover that capacity to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. It becomes a permanent source of CO2. That basically corresponds with when the trees and forests start dying. People have got to comprehend that these forests are also affected by climate change. So they're part of the solution for climate change but only if they can cope with climate change themselves. And then otherwise they may become part of the problem. That's right. And Tim Wardlaw has a grim warning about what these forests will do if we don't contain global warming to below 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. I'm predicting that 3 degrees is probably the limit and we're going to reach that in 30 years' time, less than 30 years' time. So I think we've got a relatively short window to identify ways that we can make this forest more resilient. So one generation, this forest, in one generation, this forest could become a net source of carbon? Yes. It's not like a, you know, Antarctica ice sheets breaking off where we never get to see them except on TVs or bleaching the Barrier Reef. We're actually in the forest here and now. We can actually see the forest responding in real time. So that canary in the coal mine is speaking every day, as it were, about the effects of climate change. 
it's not just Tasmania. Just before the bushfires in, in 2019, there was a massive forest dieback event in, in Eastern Australia, which was millions of kilometres square. And, and, you know, those sort of events are, are popping up around the world often now. We don't hear too much about them typically. You know, we hear more about the fires, but, the, you know, for example, in, the, um, in Siberia, tens of millions of square kilometres of, of that boreal conifer forest are just in massive decline now in response to these hot events. And the, and the problem is that as it, gets, as it gets warmer, the plants evaporate more. Uh, they just have less time between rainfall events to, to survive. Uh, and species in growing in dry environments or in wet environments, it seems to be species growing in every environment. It, you know, to be tough costs cost resources. Um, and so plants are just as tough as they need to be. And now we're creating a, a different um, future, which means that everything in its current distribution is now going to feel the impact. As a scientist, Tim Broadrib is exercising some tough love to understand how rising temperatures will tip different trees over. I've been told that you torture plants. Yes, I think that's probably the right word for it. They don't die, and I do reward them at the, in the end. In their own best interests? Probably not their own best interests, but I do try and consider that it is for the best interests of plants in general. Um, that's how I sleep at night. <laughs> we are in the depths of the, the Pelverada Valley. So we're southern Tasmania, off the beaten track, on a block that I bought as a retirement locale for my, my experimental subjects. They're still working for you, though. We've got a, a, a Tassie Oyster Bay pine here, a conifer, I should say. It's all rigged up. You've got it wired up. What's going on? It's just a tiny little camera that's um, fitted to the, to the leaves here. And the camera uh, measures the, the thickness of the, of the leaf. Amazingly enough, the way that leaf um, shrinks and swells every day can tell us a huge amount about how happy the plant is. You are literally measuring the heartbeat of a tree. Yeah. When you look at it, a uh, plot of how, how it changes through time, I mean, it, it really does look like a, a heartbeat every day. Doodle, doodle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's slow. But it's a... Doodle. Slower. D- uh. <laughs> <laughs> it beats about once a day. Yeah, it's, it, and there's a, there's a lot of information in that heartbeat. So it's not just, it tells, you know, how dry is the plant. It tells you how, how the roots are functioning. Um, it tells you how the, so on every leaf, there are, there are millions of, of um, valves that regulate how the plant um, loses water. And so it, we can tell whether those valves are open or closed. So instead of visualising and monitoring the pumping of blood through a, the, the veins of a human, you're monitoring the pumping of water through the veins of a tree. Yep, I think that's a reasonable analogy, although the tree's not pumping, the tree's sucking. So it's, as it sucks, it collapses. Um, and the harder it sucks, the more it collapses and, and the drier the soil is, the more the, the tissue collapses. And at a critical threshold, in one sudden dramatic moment, a tree dies. 
Now, no one really understood that critical threshold before, that point of no return that determines whether a tree survives or dies when it doesn't get enough water. And predicting that threshold for different species will be absolutely critical to saving Tasmania's trees in a warming climate. So you've got one of these videos here. This is of a living eucalypt leaf. In a world first, Tim and colleagues captured that moment of vascular death on film. And so we're back in his office at the University of Tasmania to watch movies. And so we're just sort of uh, simulating uh, a severe drought by drying it. Um, and we're, we're scanning the leaf every, every minute. So, so nothing happens for a long time, which is good because you'd hope that the plant would be pretty resistant. But then we noticed that you suddenly reach a moment where things start to change really, really quickly. And it sort of looks like a amazing bolts of lightning that, that start to erupt. It's sudden and dramatic, and it is like a lightning zap, kind of spreading out along the veins of the leaf. Boom, just like that, dead. And that's been the interesting thing, like it... The idea of death in, in an animal is, you know, usually it's quite a slow sort of metabolic collapse. And, and originally we sort of thought about death in plants in the same way as sort of this active metabolic process of, of decay. But, but what it seems like is that it's just this, it's this rapid transition from, from the plant being able to irrigate itself to the plant not being able to carry water anymore. And that and that's a really that's a really catastrophic moment for the plant and it happens really quickly and it's not reversible that's a very important thing to know you know you really want to know when you're going to start seeing massive uh, mortality of trees it tells us how trees are dying but it also gives us the opportunity to to predict for a different species where their thresholds are and, and when they're going to be vulnerable all the scientists we've heard from today including tim broadrib are deeply concerned about what's ahead for Tasmania's unique Gondwana trees in a warming climate. But Tim, for one, is optimistic that we will get our act together to make the changes needed, to stem the tide of carbon dioxide. So what that means is that there's an incredible onus on preserving these species and these places because it could be just a case of, you know, as long as they can hold on for the next 20 years, it might be okay. You know, it's worth, it's worth any effort. It does require more effort and I think it requires more intervention. You know, I think we should be planting, we should be planting conifers in, in, in national parks. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be standing back and going, oh, you know, this is just change and we mustn't intervene. I think we have to intervene. Thanks to Tim Broadrib, Kathy Allen, Jenny Steiger, Tim Wardlaw and Danielle. And thank you to you for voting in Australia's favourite tree. What a poll that was. And uh, I reckon this is the perfect point to tell you about an exciting new ABC podcast landing this week. Hi, Joe Lauder here. If you want to be inspired about what all of us can do to change the perilous future of Tasmania's trees, here's a brand new ABC podcast for you. It's called Who's Going to Save Us? And it's a climate change podcast that's not strictly about climate change. We know climate change is real and we're all too familiar with the devastation it's causing. 
Who's Gonna Save Us is a show about how much better things could be and the people fighting to get us there. Like climate scientists pushed to their limits by a lack of action. The traditional owners fighting back to stop major gas projects on their land. And uni students who've taken their idea for a climate change court case from their classroom in Vanuatu all the way to the United Nations. Reporters from the science team at ABC RN and the team at Triple J Hack have been travelling around the country to meet the people making real change and making it now. Who's going to save us? It's your roadmap to a better future. Who's going to save us? Check it out on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell. My thanks to Lisa Needham and Tim Simons. Some volcanic love on the show next week. I'll catch you then. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.